spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This is Perspectives. It's the show where we have a conversation about our differences only to discover how much more we have in common. I'm Condis Presley, and our subject today is quite topical and highly sensitive. We're going to have a conversation today about addiction and recovery. Our guest on the program today is Laura Perry. She is the Corporate Director of Family Wellness for an organization called Aware Recovery Care, which does operate in the state of Georgia. Laura, thank you for joining us on the program. Thank you so much for having me. Let's just start at the very basics, the very beginning. Tell us what Aware Recovery Care provides. So Aware Recovery Care is just a really groundbreaking model of care. The traditional path for treatment in the addiction field has always been that people go away for 28 days and they're removed from their home, their work, their family, their and access to their substance of choice. And most people can achieve abstinence during that time when they're sort of secluded from their life. What AWARE does is we meet people in their lives and treat them there in real time. So what does that look like? We have a a comprehensive care team that involves clinicians. So we have either a nurse or a social worker, depending on what the client needs. We have two client recovery advisors who are typically folks with lived experience. So they have their own personal recovery, a family education facilitator who works with whoever the client identifies as being an important person in their life to help that person become a healthy support in the recovery process and an internal psychotherapist who will provide therapy within the context of our program. And so we meet people in their lives, in their homes, in their communities and help them navigate their recovery journey in real time, right? So they've got all their stressors and triggers and all those things around them and we're helping them develop those coping skills to navigate a life in recovery in their communities and in their homes. To be clear, you're saying that what Aware Recovery Care provides is an alternative to the traditional 28-day, 60-day, 30-day, nine-month inpatient treatment program. It can be an alternative or it can be something additional. So lots of our clients come from traditional brick-and-mortar recovery centers where they go to get stabilized and to, you know, to do have that initial period of abstinence and then come out and maybe where their aftercare. But for a lot of folks who don't necessarily need that period of stabilization, they can come directly into our program. So it can serve either way. How did you come to do this work? It's a great question. I, uh, I'm i a person in long-term recovery. So I just celebrated eight years of sobriety in June. And I really felt like I wanted to give back and to support folks who were walking the path that I was walking. And um, I had a loved one who went through treatment with AWARE. And I really got to see what an incredible program it is and how groundbreaking it is. And I wanted to be a part of it. And so I eventually came on as a client recovery advisor to work with clients and found myself very surprisingly more called toward the family side of things, which surprised me. I thought for sure I would want to work directly with clients. And I loved doing that. But I really loved the way we address the whole system, right? So we don't We don't just exist in a vacuum. We exist in the context of our families and our communities and our lives. And 
And I think when someone goes away to traditional treatment, which has its place, there's nothing wrong with traditional model of treatment, um, they come back and nothing has shifted in their family. Everything is exactly as it was and nobody there. I always say families come into our program with the wrong job description, right? They don't know how to be a healthy support. I have yet to meet a client's loved one who didn't think they were doing the right thing. Even if it's wildly off base and not actually effective, they all want to help and they all think they're doing the right things and they just need an accurate job description and the tools to carry it out. And so what I what I love so much about our program is that we always say addiction's a family disease. I'm sure you've heard that before, right? But we don't treat it like the family disease that it is. At AWARE, we treat the entire system. Share with us a little bit more about what it's like to go into a home, work with a family, and identifying that moment where the family does need to course correct. When there are those light bulb moments, there's nothing like it. It's so gratifying. So our program is up to a year long, which is incredible. And that's, you know, initially was based on the premise that that's how long it takes the brain to heal. You know, it's a it's a year long process for your brain to heal. But what we've learned over time is that it's also all the firsts that you get to walk alongside a client and their family with, right? Like, so how am I gonna do Thanksgiving sober? How am I gonna get through, how am I gonna go to a concert? All the things that you sort of are typically used to using alcohol or other substances with, we have that full calendar year to walk side the client and their family. And so what's so wonderful is you can be working with a family and you know, a lot of the work that we do with families is teaching them about healthy boundaries and, healthy communication and helping them understand, you know, what's the difference between a rule and a boundary? And they thought that they had boundaries, but they're really trying to control someone else's behavior. And when you shift the focus back to like, okay, what can you control? How can you take care of yourself in this? And having them, I think for me, one of the best things is when they realize that them not taking care of themselves is not actually helping, right? They, so many allies, we call them allies in our program, they're so hyper-focused on the client's well-being that all of their self-care gets put on a shelf. And they think that that's what love looks like. But really, love looks like prioritizing your own well-being. You know, there's a reason we say put on your own oxygen mask, right? Prioritize your own well-being. And that is actually what loving the person struggling with addiction looks like. I, I love when I see people start to shift toward their own parallel recovery and their own, you know, really taking ownership of like, oh, I can take care of myself and that's not selfish. That's not not caring about my loved one. That's understanding that what I can control is taking care of myself, right? And that that is part of the entire system shifting toward recovery. Or how does the stigma surrounding addiction, how does that impact people who are struggling and maybe hesitant to reach out and get the help they so desperately need? It's still very real, which is maddening. You would think that we had all learned enough that, that there wouldn't still be an issue, but there is. And I think that that's one of the beautiful things about our program is a big barrier for people seeking treatment has been, if I go away for 28 days, everyone's going to know that that's what I'm going to get treatment for. And the beauty is in our program, you can still go to your job every day. You can still, you know, you can still go to school. We have, we have clients who are college students and they're full-time college students and also in treatment. Right. So I think the stigma is a is a huge barrier to treatment out of the gate. It's it's really, really difficult for people to admit that they have a pro, uh, problem, but also to to take that time out of their lives and go and seek the treatment that they need. And so while I would love to wave a magic wand and have the stigma go away, 
until we get there, and I do believe we'll get there. I think we're we're I think we're certainly better than we were 20 years ago, and we're not as good as we'll be 20 years from now. But I think we're headed in the right direction. But until that happens, I think it's really wonderful that you can stay in your life and get the treatment that you need. Are there specific populations or demographics that face an even greater challenge when it comes to addiction and recovery? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think anytime you're part of, first of all, any marginalized community who may have less access to healthcare services, who may have different, um, there's different cultural perceptions about addiction and about recovery. And so people in certain communities might be less inclined to seek treatment or admit that they have a problem. I think that you have communities that have higher rates of trauma right? And so higher rates of collective trauma, community trauma. And so anytime you have a higher rate of trauma, you're more inclined to seek a solution to that pain. And the thing about alcohol and drugs is that it's people's solution before it's a problem, right? People, people use alcohol and drugs because initially they work. <laughs> you're <laughs> in pain and they work and then they become their own problem. But, but People do what works. And so I think when you have communities, whether it's an underserved community, whether it's someone in the LGBTQIA plus population, when you have people in communities that are marginalized and underserved, there's always going to be a higher rate of substance use because there's more pain. Yeah. What are some of the more common misconceptions and stereotypes about addiction that, you know, make this problem worse for people who are going through it, want to get help, are worried about their privacy and what can we do to address and dispel some of those misconceptions? Sure. Well, I mean, I think that the most pervasive um, misconception still, and it's just, it's, it's interesting, is that it's somehow a, a moral failure or a lack of willpower or, or something like that. And it's not, you know, I mean, there are deeply wonderful, good, kind, smart people who struggle with substance use disorder, you know? And so it's not something that you can think your way out of. It, it doesn't discriminate in the sense that, you know, you'll find it in very wealthy communities. You'll find it in very underserved communities. Um, it really is sort of an equal opportunity destroyer. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it's everywhere. Um, and so I think that education is certainly a big piece of it. I will say that, you know, with the opioid crisis and with in the pandemic, we certainly saw a huge spike in substance use of all kind, right? So I think the Department of Health in Georgia from 2019 to 2021, there was a 101% increase in overdoses. And the NIH reported uh, during, I think 2020, a 25% increase in alcohol-related deaths. That's, that's not coincidental, right? That sort of collective, again, back to that like collective traumatic experience and isolation and all of those things. Um, I do think that, that those are horrifying statistics, but what that also means is that more and more people will be moving into recovery. And everything looks different close up, right? So when the person who struggles with alcohol use disorder or substance use disorder is some stranger and you don't know them, it's easier to have judgment, but then it's Uncle Bob, <laughs> right? And you know that Uncle Bob is actually a delightful human and you love him and you have these other contexts for him. And so all of a sudden it shifts your perception, right? And so I do think that as more and more people find recovery and as it's not a theoretical thing to people, right? As it becomes closer to home, 
I do think that that will shift some of these perceptions because it's a lot harder to judge close up. You know? Exactly. Laura, what are some of the potential consequences of not seeking help for mm. addiction, not only for the individual who needs to be in recovery, but for their families and then their larger circle of community? Oh, gosh, yes. Um, well, obviously, first of all, with fentanyl now and fentanyl, you know, I think people think of fentanyl only in the context of opioids, but fentanyls, if you're, if you're buying illicit drugs, you're going to come across fentanyl. You just are. So, so first and foremost, the, the threat of overdose and death is huge. Um, but beyond, beyond that ultimate consequence, it impacts every area of your life. You know, it impacts your ability to get, maintain employment. It affects people's ability to maintain safe housing. It affects certainly your relationships. It affects your physical health, your emotional health, your mental health. Um, there's really no area of your life that addiction doesn't touch. And so, but the beautiful thing about that is the same is true of recovery. Right. So as you shift toward recovery, all of those things get better, too. And I think that that's one of the things that I really, really love about AWARE is that we do look at a person's whole life because we're working with them in it. So it's not just about here's how you don't use drugs and alcohol. It's here's how you rebuild a whole life. Right. So what are your what's your vision for your life? What's your dream for your life? Is your dream for your life improved relationship with your husband? That's great. Family systems therapy is a part of our program. Let's get you the help that you need. Right. You want to get a job. Your client recovery advisor can sit with you while you fill out applications and, talk. you know, we can really support people in their specific recovery goals because recovery is more than just substance use. Recovery is how do we rebuild this life? You know, what's been impacted and what can we make better for you? And, and that's the one of the really beautiful things about having a whole year is you have time to do that. Have we finally knocked down many of the barriers for people battling substance use disorder to get the help that they need and to have the resources through employer insurance or other programs, if that's not an option, so that folks can get the help that they need and the financial pressure, which in some cases could be a cause of the disorder, doesn't make things worse. Sure. And that last thing that you touched on is so important because the, lots of times the people who are most under-resourced and have the least access to healthcare, that's a contributing factor to them needing that very healthcare. And it's such a vicious circle. Um, I don't think that we're anywhere near where we need to be in knocking down those barriers, if I'm perfectly honest. I mean, I know that we are constantly at AWARE looking at how our, our ultimate end goal, and let me say this, at AWARE, we have a ton of people, not just in direct care, who are in recovery. So this is not just a job for us. This is purpose-driven, missional work. And we want to offer our level, you know, our model of care to every single person who wants it. That is absolutely our end game. Um, I do think there are still barriers. I think some of them are what we touched on earlier, which is like people's willingness to access the help that they, they can get, right? But then also offering affordable care and making sure that it's accessible to folks. I do think that having a model of care 
that doesn't require you to leave your job because not all jobs, not all jobs you can get leave from, or not all jobs will have paid leave or not, you know. So if you if you can't step away from your life without the financial wheels coming off the bus, which is true for a lot of people, right? They they don't they live too close to the bone to to step away from that that salary. I think being able to stay in your life is actually going to make it accessible to a lot more people because they're not going to be afraid to lose their job. They're not going to be afraid to step away. But I think just as a country, we have a long way to go from, you know, where we should be, I think. Let's flip over to the positive a little bit more and talk about some of the key milestones in the recovery process. Yeah. So I think, you know, in the recovery process, that can... I think it depends on your recovery goals. I think it depends on where you're at in the sort of trajectory of the disease of addiction, because there are people who realize they have an issue without having lost everything. And so that's a different path, right? But but that can be certainly improved relationships with your families. Families are so deeply impacted by the disease of addiction. It causes breaks down in trust and communication and connection. And so seeing those things restored can certainly be a milestone. Getting employment again, when you've maybe been unemployable, you know, when, when I got sober, I was unemployable and here we are, <laughs> you know? And so I think regaining those things, but also I've seen so many of our clients go on to find new purpose to go back to school, right? They they have this awakening of like, I get to be someone different moving forward. And what does that look like? The possibilities are endless. And so it's really, there's nothing more exciting than watching someone decide to come back to life and, and create a new path for themselves. It's the best gig in the world. How can we improve public ed- education and awareness to, again, reduce the stigma and promote the understanding of addiction disorder as a very treatable healthcare issue. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot that we can do. And I think one of the, one of the most powerful things that we can do to get to that end game is to stop glamorizing substance use in the first place, especially, let me say with alcohol, it's the only drug you have to justify not using. It's so normalized. It's so glamorized. So I think having a healthier relationship and perspective on substances out of the gate would go a long way. I do think that we could do a better job in our schools of being honest about it and and talking about it as the disease that it is, right? So educating kids on here's how substances affect your brain. Here's how it affects your decision making. You know, when I would do family education, with our clients' kids, because we'll work with, you know, 14 to 17, we will do family education with 14 to 17 year olds too, is to explain to them, you know, addiction is a disease that has a genetic component, an environmental component, and a behavioral component. Now, your genetics are your genetics. You get dealt a hand and that's the hand you got. You know, there's nothing you can do about that. I would argue with the environmental component, everyone in our country has. Everyone in our country has the environmental component of the disease of addiction because we do glamorize use. And we, even if it's, I don't want to have a feeling, so I'm going to scroll my phone. I don't want to have a feeling, so I'm going to play a video game. I don't want to have a feeling, so I'm going to shop, right? Like that, like we don't sit with our feelings. So we all have that environmental component of like fixing inside things with outside things. Behavioral component is the only component that we have absolute control over. Right. So, so teaching kids like, Hey, if, 
if if addiction runs in your family and you live where you live, you have power in one of those arenas. And it can be about in deciding to engage with substances in the first place. So doing a lot of education about, about that component of it too, I think would go a long way toward helping people see it as a disease and not as a moral failure and not as a, you know, um, and I think one other thing I would say is the, the language we use is really powerful, right? We, about that. we, the way we talk about people who struggle with addiction can be really pejorative and can be really judgmental. Um, we don't talk about people struggling with other diseases the way we talk about people struggling with addiction. You know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't. There's compassion when you talk about people struggling with other diseases. There is, there is compassion and less judgment, right? So even if, so if someone had cancer and they weren't choosing to treat it the way we thought that they should treat it, we wouldn't talk about them in the way we talk about people struggling with addiction. And so I think being more um, mindful of the language that we use and making sure that it's non-judgmental and compassionate. We talk a lot at AWARE about talking about clients and families with unconditional positive regard. Right. So really believing, not just saying, but believing that everybody is doing their best with the tools that they have and then just trying to provide them better tools. From what you've shared in our conversation, it sounds to me that you might argue media and popular culture are guilty of both glamorizing as well as creating also the stigma. Absolutely. I think we both glamorize the use and then stigmatize the consequence of that use. And so I think that's absolutely a fair statement. And I think that if we had a healthier relationship with the idea of even, even legal substances, right? So this isn't just about illicit substances, even I would, I would argue the way we glamorize alcohol in this country in particular um, is it's so troubling to me. And when I see, you know, working in this field, you'll in one moment see a commercial that absolutely glamorizes alcohol. And then you see the absolute wreckage wrought by alcohol use disorder. And it's, it's interesting. The disconnect is interesting to observe. I think every crisis is also an opportunity. And so all the devastation within the field of substance use disorder treatment and within addiction that's happened over the past couple of years, I do think that there's a little bit of a reckoning happening around our, our relationship with these things. And so I'm always hopeful. <laughs> I'm just an optimistic person. I do think that it will get better. And I do think that, you know, a lot of the people who struggled during the past couple of years who are coming into recovery are going to be forging new paths and they're going to be ambassadors out there and they're going to come into the field. You know, I mean, I wouldn't have thought that I would be where I was at doing the work that I am doing now, you know, when I first got sober. But the beauty is that being in recovery means you have choices. And you have agency and you have opportunity. And so, you know, if there's people out there that are coming to that understanding that they have a problem and scared to get treatment or scared to address their substance use, I'm here to tell you it gets so much better. It just does. It gets so much better. Laura, was there anything else you wanted to make sure that our listeners knew or something I, I might not have thought to, to bring up during our conversation? If you're feeling like you need help or your loved one needs help, if 
you go to our website, awarerecoverycare.com, there's a portal for people who are seeking help for themselves. There's also a portal for families to go in where they can learn more and understand more about the program. There is a lot of help to be had. And I just, uh, I'm, I'm so thrilled that we're in Georgia and that we're going to be able to serve more families. We're, we're here to serve. Aware Recovery Care providing help and treatment for substance abuse disorder, treating the entire family in the home. Laura Perry, the Corporate Director of Family Wellness for Aware Recovery Care. Thank you. And congratulations again on your eight years of sobriety. Good for you. Thank you, Condis. I appreciate it. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condis Presley on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condace? C-O-N-D-A-C-E. And Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time as we explore new perspectives. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24.